Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 59th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. We've officially hit over 5,000 downloads, which I'm extremely thankful to the entire TARP crew, or TARP gang, gang gang, for, as well as all of the fantastic guests. Speaking of all those amazing guests, go back through and listen to the catalog. We've had so many different kinds of people that work in MILB as guests on this podcast, including groundskeepers, marketing directors, sales leaders, assistant GMs, broadcasters, general managers, team presidents, and everything in between. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter to become a guest at It's R.A. Kuhn, that's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N, Follow me on there so that you don't miss out on any news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. If you enjoy the show, please take the time to leave a rating or comment on Apple Podcasts. That allows people to find the Pulling Tart Podcast easier and we get new listeners. Now that we've done some house cleaning, let's get right into it and catch up with Adam Marco. Director of Communications and Broadcaster for the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Be right back with Adam Marco after this break. Adam, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super excited to catch back up with you. Um, seeing as though we are two former Williamsport Crosscutters interns, um, and our and our paths crossed uh, when I was in Delmarva and you were in West Virginia. So um, excited to have you on. Um, how excited are you to get back on the air for the Rail Riders this year? First of all, it's a pleasure being on with you today, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, the last year has been extremely difficult for everybody, and some worse than others. I, I want to say that I've been fortunate. Uh, I wasn't working for the year. That was certainly difficult, but my wife and I have been healthy. Family has been healthy. Uh, it's. I'm hoping the same for as, as many people as possible when it comes to how we're going to make it back through this. Uh, the last year has not been easy. Um, mm-hmm. That first time we, we turned the microphone on to talk Rail Riders baseball, be the first time since September 2019. Wow. And we made the playoffs. We had a rough run in the playoffs that year. Like the last good game that I saw was game 141 in September, September 3rd, 2019, where we needed a playing game against Syracuse. So okay. it's been a long time since there's been minor league baseball. I've done a few broadcasts along the way, but the chance to talk Rail Riders baseball, to, to talk to our fans again, to talk to friends again about 
the last year or so, year and a half of what's gone on. I'm excited is, is certainly one word I will use. Um, I'm nervous. It, it's it's going to be like starting all over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I'm looking forward to that day whenever it gets here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic that you and your family have been healthy during this time. Um, and I, I would imagine, you know, yeah, you, you would be nervous at first, but once you get going, I, I, I know how you broadcast. Once you get going, it's gonna, it's gonna be like, uh, riding a bicycle. You're, you're just gonna pick it right back up again, I'm sure. Um, you'll, the most common joke you'll see is, let's see if I remember how to do this. <laughs> and we all do. You're right. I, I've done a couple broadcasts, as I mentioned, and that was when it came to my mind. I might have tweeted it at that point, but at some point, somebody in every broadcast is going to say, let's see if we remember how to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Well, we'll be fine. It, it might take an inning or three to get back in the groove. And after that, you'll never know it, uh, that there was a year and a half off. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. So we talked a little bit about it before we started recording, but how did you spend the last season that, that never was last year, basically. How did you spend last summer with no baseball? So like a lot of minor league baseball employees, I was put on furlough in mid-June. Some people worked a little less. Some people worked a little bit more. And it was a product of the industry. And when you're a attendance-based industry mm -hmm. and there's no attendance and there's nothing to create that, you know, I understood it. It was difficult at first, right? but when you get past that point, when you start the acceptance and you can live whatever life you could possibly live in 2020, you know, I hadn't had a summer off since 2006. And yes, it wasn't the typical summer, but I was able to see my wife. We were able to have dinner seven nights a week together. Mm -hmm. She works from home, so I did my best to stay out of her way and... I golfed, you know, it was one of the things that you could do that was still socially distanced, that the courses were still open. You, you had your hand sanitizer, you wore a mask, you took the protocols, the precautions you had to. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that in the 50 or so rounds that I played between May, spring furlough, and December when I played my last round, I got better. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I did. Halfway through the year, I decided I was going to correct 20 years of bad swings and bad club grip. <laughs> and I tried to reteach myself the game in August. So played a lot of golf uh, and played a lot of great courses here in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Some that because of baseball on a typical year, I would never have the chance to play. Mm -hmm. And that was a big part of it. The other things I did occupy my time, we have an older house in Scranton and it needed some updates so i ended up painting four rooms and the miles and miles of trim that go in these old houses yeah i i also taught myself how to drywall oh so wow <laughs> because it's an older house uh, and i did it in closets the closets were crumbling plaster so if i screwed it up it was either going to cost a couple hundred to have somebody come fix it or it's a closet and no one will see it exactly yeah okay I did one, my wife thought it was fine, so I did another, still okay. So I ended up doing four closets and actually last month I started working on an entire room that I'm going to re-drywall. Okay. That's 
how confident she is in my skills. Wow. We'll see. Uh, so yeah, it, it was home improvement projects. I, I re-landscaped the yard like the second or third week of June. You know, anything I could do to, well, keep the noise down when I had to, but be outside, you know, give her the space and other hobbies that, that popped up throughout the year. I have a classic car that I like to try to teach myself to work on and drive occasionally. And Ooh. I think I rewatched the West Wing for like the 10th time. Okay. <laughs> that, those are uh, some of the high points of 2020 in uh, the year that was. All right. What kind of classic car do you have? It's a 1969 MG, MGB. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a 40th birthday present from my wife, my friends, and my family. Okay. And I, I, I don't know. I, I have ideas of where it came from, like why I always wanted this. But for 20-something years, I talked about how I wanted to get an MG. And okay. on my 40th birthday, they finally shut me up and collected money, basically, from friend, family, and my wife to help me buy one. So correct me if I'm wrong. Those are the little British cars, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, growing up, my best friend, his dad, collected like all these old British cars. He probably had like fifteen of these cars. But I remember he because he would like not not together because of um, you know you can only have one passenger usually in those vehicles. So right. so he. But I remember him like taking us to um like soccer practice and stuff like that um you know the, his wife would drive one car and he would drive the other just just to get it out of the garage basically um but those were those are sweet cars man so i i think when i was really young like three ish five years old we had a neighbor that had either an mg or like a triumph spitfire same thing, small, old British sports car. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, I would ride in the back, which wasn't really a seat. It's just, like, a bench. Yeah. It's at the top of the batteries. Um, and then in the 80s, I would watch, like, reruns of Get Smart, and Maxwell Smart always drove British sports cars. He was a Triumph guy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you're like, you're looking, like, what could I get? And, like, what I would really love is an Austin Healey, but those are $75,000 cars. Right. So then you look at other MG, you look at MG, MGA is that kind of body line, and then MGB. And, uh, I love it. I absolutely love the car. Um, about 10 years ago, I got rid of my last manual transmission car. So to have this, to be able to drive a stick shift again, uh, it, it's old. It shakes a lot. It. The scariest drive I've ever had was driving it back. I bought it down near Altoona. Okay. I from thought I would be putting it on a trailer and driving it home. And no, I am driving this car back, which is up 99, across I 80, and up 81. Yeah, that's a that's a hike. And and it was a little bit rainy that day, and it's a convertible, and I had to get it needed a new top. Okay. So I just drove the whole way with the top down, even though it was pouring at times. <laughs> but my friend that went with me d- drove behind me the way back. He's like, every time a tractor trailer got near you, you swerved onto the shoulder. I'm like, yeah, because I was scared out of my mind. Right. I'll take it on the highway here to the ballpark, like on a beautiful Sunday, because mm-hmm. it's only two miles. Yeah. 
two and a half hours back from Altoona in this car where it's, it's basically one where you think like Christmas vacation where they drive the station wagon underneath the logging truck. Oh, That's yeah. what's in my mind the whole time. Like it's a lap seat belt. There's nothing else. Yep. I, if I leaned out over the door, I could probably scrape my fingers on the road like like a submarine picture. Like, yeah, it's the scariest drive ever. I'll never do it again. I will tow that car if I have to. I will put it on a trailer. But uh, I absolutely love it. What color is it? It's black with black interior. It was originally like hunter green. And when it was restored, it was restored to black. Okay. Very cool. All right. Uh, so let's get back into the baseball here. What kind of changes are fans going to see this year at PNC Field? I think a lot of what you'll see, and it's not just our ballpark, it's going to be across the industry. Um, as vaccines become more prevalent, mask wearing, people will still have to wear masks at stadiums. Sure. You're seeing it in spring training, uh, even with social distancing, with pod seating, which... Does anybody really understand what pod seating should be? I don't know, but basically it's going to be you and no one else around you for a, a row or two. Yeah. And it's six or four seats, something like that. Yeah. About that. Um, capacities in Pennsylvania recently will open up, I should say, to 50%. But even with, you know, the governor saying 50% capacity, you're still at six feet distancing, which may change. Um, we're 10,000 capacity stadium. Mm -hmm. The number you would think, oh, well, we have to be at 5,000 people. But because of that distancing, because of, you know, trying to make sure everybody has their own space, I don't think we get a 5,000 right off the bat. I think it's going to take stadiums time to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You'll see distancing in concession lines. I think you see reduced menus across the industry just because, you're going to have fewer people. So do we need to go to so many items now? Sure. I love restaurant shows and something that I'll always talk about is, well, you, your menu is too big. You got too many things going on. You don't focus on one thing. I think this could be a year where teams focus on one or two things to really thrive upon. Okay. Maybe you see reduced menus. Um, I think a lot of stadiums will go cashless. I think yeah. it'll be ATM, debit cards, credit cards, whatever the, the, uh, However, it's going to work out. Or going to the team store or service customer service and buying gift cards there. Mm-hmm. If cash, I mean there there may be small points of sale like that, but things you can minimize back and forth contact. I think you'll see a lot of. It. I think that will become more prevalent, not just at the ballpark in Scranton, Wilkesbury, but across the industry because as we still grasp what is going on and how it's transmitted we know but do we so what can we do to make sure that people are safe that is the number one most important priority is we want people to feel safe and sound when they come to the ballpark that they're going to leave healthy right right exactly um i'm interested i mean you we've met each other when i worked for the delmarva shorebirds and i still live you know, within driving, I live like 30 minutes away from the stadium and I'm interested to go back as a fan. Um, I haven't been able to do that in, in years. Um, excited to go back and, and have a beverage or two. 
Um, and uh, but yeah, I well, I was a little I was a little pissed off at first. Um, I asked my buddies. I said, you know, well, when I left, you know, the general manager said, you know, whenever you want to come to a game, just you know, come walk through the employee entrance. And and now that's not going to be a thing. I the, you know, everybody has to. Um, buy their own tickets and stuff like that, but I'm into just because they are going cashless. Um, you know, they're not even printing tickets this year. It's all going to be um, electronic. Um, the parking passes are going to be electronic. Um, you c- won't even be able to pay cash for that. Um, and I'm I believe all of the concessions are going to be that way as well. Um, so I'm just interested to go back as a fan. Um, of course, I miss working in baseball all the time. Uh, but, yeah, just super excited to, to get back there um, as a fan, for sure. I think the other things you'll see, I don't believe you'll... The prevalence of getting autographs is going to be a thing right now. Mm. You know, these teams invest so much money, time, energy into these players... And it, I think at least for this year, autographs will disappear. There may be ways for fans to get autographs through the team and giveaways and things like that, ticket packages that some teams might be doing. Uh, but you know, limiting contact with players is certainly going to be, at least for the first few months of the year, I think a story across baseball, across sports in general. I don't think you'll see promos on the field. Mm-hmm. It, teams will designate like areas on the concourse where they're going to do promos and, okay. and to keep that distancing away from players just to stay on the safe side because we want to keep having games and you don't want anything to go wrong so okay. I, I, just a couple more things I think we'll incorporate an hour ballpark but I think you'll see a cross base sure sure um, so you're no stranger to the 570 area code um, which is you know the area code that that I'm from. Uh, I'm from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and I alluded at the beginning of the show that we were both Williamsport Crosscutters interns. Um, and so, but you're so you were before me, but you didn't get into baseball until you were what twenty seven, right? You left a full time job. I was a radio DJ out of college. I overnight country music in Northwest PA. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, uh, went to Mercyhurst for school, lived in that area. Western PA, pretty much the first 22, 23 years of my life. I uh, took a job in North Carolina. That's where I, I mean, I'd been to Jarriott Park where the Seawolves played when I was in college. It's mm-hmm. named now, uh, but I've been to, I'd seen minor league baseball games before. I moved down to North Carolina. I worked for a radio station that carried the Kinston Indians. So I was board hopping. I was running the games back at the studio. That's really where I discovered minor league baseball could be a job for me. Yeah. It took me a few years to go to the first winter meetings that I went to, which was 2005. Didn't get a job. Had a couple interviews. 2006, had a couple interviews, one of which was with Gabe and Williamsport. And uh, he took a chance on me. Um, I, I was certainly not the prototypical intern by any means. You know, those are college juniors, seniors, first, second year out of school. Um, 
I left a job. I wasn't making much in that job, but I left a full-time job with benefits and Mm -hmm. a card that I had to pay off and moved to Williamsport for a couple hundred dollars a month. I I was a promo intern with the Crosscutters on home games or worked in the press box the last month of the year. And I traveled with the team and I was their road broadcaster. So got, I think, 38 games in that first season on air and really cut my teeth on the promotional side. So one year in Williamsport, uh, but to this day, I talk to Gabe constantly, uh, text, email, phone call now every other week. Uh, He's been a mentor, a friend, but you know from your time in baseball that this is family. Mm -hmm. No matter where I've gone, where we are, it's brothers and sisters. You know, it's not that way off the bat, not at all, but you get to a place in some cases for a few years and you're fighting one day and you're having a beer after a game the next. Yeah, right. So whether it's Gabe and Doug and, and Sarah in Williamsport or Jim Byers out in Oklahoma City, um, my second family of the West Virginia Power or my great friends that are becoming family here in Scranton. It's really, it's really what it is. It is a family atmosphere for people coming in, but it is very much a family behind the scenes as well. Absolutely. And Gabe is, you know, one of my mentors as well. Um, just had him on this podcast a couple weeks ago, which is a great conversation. Always great talking to him. He's just such a wealth of knowledge in the industry. Um, he's been, he's just been around for forever. Um, any any um, memories from from Williamsport that that stand out? Um, it's my it's my hometown. I I probably know, you know where you hung out after the games, um, all that stuff. So, so I I have a few stories that I think will come up later on that I'm I'm going to hold on to mm-hmm. for Williamsport. Right. Uh, there's one story that I love. Uh, I don't know if Gabe's necessarily a fan of it, but <laughs> it, it was the point where I learned that dogs don't like fireworks. Ooh, yeah. We had America's Best Frisbee Dogs come out to a Bark in the Park game. And it was also, I think, the very first year that they had the fireworks box in left center field. Mm-hmm. So it was remote control fireworks. It was on this pole after the national anthem, shoot off a few fireworks. Uh, Crosscutters home run, a couple of more. Well, in the anthem, shoot off the fireworks. But one, I guess, get, got lodged in the box and started to set the other ones ablaze. Oh, so in the middle wow. of the first inning, game's going on and fireworks are just shooting off from the outfield. Meanwhile, the Frisbee dogs are freaking out as was their trainer like dogs don't like fireworks they're not going to perform this isn't going to go well so we put the fire out we we, i did not fire was out make it through the rest of the game the dogs eventually perform we we make it through the rest of the night without much of a problem till about 5 6 a.m the next morning the rest of the fireworks in the box just shoot off they'd been smoldering for like 10 hours and it got to the point where they, they just woke up the neighborhood. Gabe was like one of the first people there. The fire department, I think was there to put it out. And, you know, wow. I, 
I love that story. That is a fireworks mishap gone awry that didn't hurt anybody in the end. You know, there, there's always stories about it. What can go wrong? That is, to me, a funny fireworks story, but I wasn't the one at the ballpark at 6 a.m. with the fire department's probably not smiling. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that that's a uh, that's a Williamsport story that um, that stands out to me. And much like family, no matter where you go, the chance to see some of the people from time to time, you know, whether it's Gabe and Sarah and Doug Estes at the winter meetings, uh, whether it's Rashawn, if I head back, uh, I love loved my time meeting Rashawn, being around Rashawn, um, or even some of the, rarely does it happen, but do I come across people that worked in the press box, like Rob Thomas, yeah, announcer back then. Uh, I was doing a broadcast for Penn College, mm -hmm. and he does PA at Penn College, and it was like, hey, I know you, and right. like just just seeing seeing people after. 13 years, uh, it still brings a smile to me. So Absolutely. Nothing but fond memories of my time in there. Sure, sure. Um, I have Rashawn's calendar at my desk at work. Um, so that always puts a smile on my face. Um, and... I have a fairly sizable bobblehead collection. Me too. So I have one of Rashawn's bobbleheads. Yeah. And when my wife graduated from law school, I gave her an autograph for Sean Bobblehead as well. There you go. Uh, she made the trip out to visit a few times, and she, uh, she and Rashawn were big fans of each other, as far as I could tell. But she got a she got a smile out of it. It's that one's actually in our house here somewhere. Okay, fantastic. I have a I have a um, autographed one as well. I think I have all three of Rashawn's bobbleheads. So I think I have one of the early ones. Yeah, he's he's a legend for sure. He is. And I didn't I didn't realize this, but but we both worked in radio. I was a board op too. I after William after the Crosscutters, this was still in Williamsport, but for ESPN Radio Williamsport, I was a board op for them and, and as well as um, the like WILQ and um, you know where they did the. Um, Steelers and Eagles games as well. I was board hopping there as well. So, so yeah, we have a, a lot in common. I think that's part of the reason why Gabe hired me uh, is my experience in radio that they weren't sure in 07 if they were going to have a radio contract. But if they did, then, you know, I had the opportunity to do games. Um, my, I spent four years as a production manager. Mm -hmm. So, my audio editing ability is infinitely better then than it probably is right now, but I, I think that helps uh, help extend me above the rest of the field for 2006, 2007. Sure, sure, it makes total sense to me. Um, so you've, you know, you've been in the industry a long time, um, caught a lot of games. What's the most memorable call that you've made on air? And this is a tough one. I am sure it is. I get this question quite a bit when I talk to people. I've done over a thousand minor league baseball games. Mm -hmm. I've probably done another thousand or so broadcasts between football, hockey, basketball, wrestling, soccer. Like you add it all up. I, I'm, it's very difficult for me to say favorite calls. Uh, there are some that stand out in my mind because 
there were inside jokes that went with it. Okay. I, I can tell the story, but it doesn't sound right unless you know the other half of it, which I can't tell <laughs> knowingly. Um, I've done a few no hitters. Uh, I, before I got into minor league baseball, I did a high school no hitter. It was at Jerry Park for Meadville High School, uh, state playoff game. So things like that. Games stand out to me more than individual calls. Um, walk off wins, you know, football wise, you know, playoff games and last second touchdowns. I don't know if I have a particular one call where I'm like, this is my most memorable. Mm -hmm. I have stories that go with moments in games versus, you know, I, I don't have that Joe Buck, Mark McGuire home run. Right. Buck 88 world series or anything. Vince Scully period. Like I don't have that. That stands out to me. Uh, I'm more of the memories from different games and, and, the plays themselves versus what I said. Okay. I I get that. I do. Um, I did want to jump back to where where exactly are you from in Pennsylvania? I know you said near Pittsburgh. Near Pittsburgh is the loose term. Yeah. I grew up in a small town, Leechburg, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. About 35, 40 minutes away, 45 minutes at most from Pittsburgh, depending if I'm driving or my dad. Um, we can make it to Three Rivers Stadium and under a half hour you buy eight dollar tickets you sit in the outfield and you hope for home runs right didn't grow up a pirates fan mind you uh, when i was young i was a dodgers fan that makes no sense from being from the pittsburgh area <laughs> no steelers fan through and through penguins fan absolutely pirates in the 80s and early 90s good riddance uh i was upset francisco cabrera driving in sid green creating the slide uh, in the 91 playoffs, that one bothered me, but I didn't really become a Pirates fan until like the 2000s. Um, it, it took the home run chase of 98 and PNC Park to make me a Pirates fan. Uh, and I, I have been outside of Yankees affiliation the last couple of years. I mean, I spent a long time with the West Virginia Power and they were a Pirates affiliate. Right. So it was really, it was really the best of all of my fandom yeah um pnc park is still my favorite mlb stadium that i've been to um but i went to school at slippery rock so i would go down to pnc park you know pretty frequently um and i was always astonished at the lack of minor league baseball in western pennsylvania you have altoona and you have erie and that's it i just didn't know why you know why there wasn't any other minor league teams in the area? Uh, it's a great question. You know, you have Mahoning Valley. If you drive into Ohio, you have the Washington Wild Things, mm-hmm. forty minutes or so south of Pittsburgh, but nothing ever got really close. And you, know, you look at the Philadelphia area now. I mean, they have they've had Reading around there for forever, right? But Lehigh for the last and 15 years. It's, it's it's interesting that it never permeated to any of those smaller towns, but I think that's it's indicative of those areas like 
Could Butler have had a team at some point in time? Probably. Yeah. Probably could have built a Frontier League team, but there's territorial issues, and I, I think when I mean, you're looking at Williamsport, for example, they've had baseball there for over a century. Mm-hmm. Ballpark's been there for almost a century. Like, right. It's none of that was ever established, and I think that's where it stems from. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, and uh, uh, okay, so you've probably dabbled in like the social media part of you know you help out with marketing and um, also you know updating it during the games and after the games that kind of stuff. Are there any comments or messages from the team's social accounts that stand out to you? Social media demands perfection. <laughs> you cannot make a mistake. Um, too many times, daily, do you do something and it's, well, that's not right. Well, that's not right. And it, it, it is one of the most difficult mediums to work in. Mm-hmm. For years in West Virginia and a couple of years here, I've handled marketing. I've helped with marketing. Um, if it's a radio commercial, I can edit it and I can make it sound perfect. Right. If it's a billboard or a newspaper ad, I'm getting countless numbers of eyes on it. Mm-hmm. A social media post where you think it's just a throwaway, it's it's going to be, oh, here's today's lineup. All right, well, you have two right fielders. Right. Here. Like, you can't make a mistake on social media. You will, and, and unlike a radio ad, unlike anything else you do, nobody screenshots a radio ad and shows it to you. Yeah. Um, I did not I did not tweet this one out it happened a few years ago a player hit a two run homer and it was labeled as a two run shot except we didn't use the O in shot okay screenshot it and it took weeks to live it down like people are just relentless because they make zero mistakes in the rest of their lives. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, that, as a general rule, it's social media is so difficult because it demands perfection, and nobody mm. is that. Yeah. Uh, you come up with promotions in minor league baseball. You think it's going to go well, and despite whatever your best laid plans are, you're somebody's going to be offended or upset or not get it. Half of what we do, I think, is tongue-in-cheek anyway. It's Mm -hmm. meant to be fun and games, and people take us way too seriously. Oh, yeah. Um, Whether it was when I was in West Virginia, we had Redneck Night. So you put that out there, and that's nine years ago, you know, early stages of things like Twitter, but Facebook had been around, and you just get ripped to shreds because why would you do that? You're making fun of it. You know, a few years ago in West Virginia, we did – we had a, a terrible incident at the ballpark where somebody broke in and stole things. Oh, okay. And try to make light of it, we came up with Mugshot Monday. Oh, just wow. Was caught, and in his mugshot, he was wearing a power jersey. <laughs> like, it, it's terrible. It is on it's, it's such a bad incident. But you're just yeah. trying to, like, you know, we have to laugh these things off. Right. It's serious. It was handled. But, like... You're just going to get razzed for it nonstop. So you, you try to, but no, it doesn't matter. You, you, 
it, it's the NFL, no fun league. It, it's, I love it. It's just so difficult because you can do something to a team and somebody's going to find something wrong with it. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not, it's not meant to be a uh, commentary on culture or anything like that right now. It's just, it's impossible to please every single person. So you have to do the best you can. You make a mistake. If you can correct it, you have to, everything else you read, you process and you do your best to put it in the back of your mind. And that's social media. You know, as a broadcaster, I say things that people, you know, what business is of yours to determine who the all-stars are. Right. Have five votes, but, <laughs> uh, that, you know, like at one point I said a player wasn't an all-star and I looked at his numbers. He was hitting like 230, three home runs, but it was a catcher. So of course you need six catchers for an all-star game. Right. Process of elimination. People are going to get there. I didn't get my vote and I just got berated for it. Oh, so okay. Well. It, you, you, you think about it, you make sure that your end of the conversation is as clean and polite and uh, respectful as it absolutely should be. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to the next mistake. I've definitely made the mistake of the two right fielders uh, plenty of times. Sure. <laughs> over, over the my amount years. of paper that's wasted on lineup cards with that is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, oh, man. I've probably killed many a trees doing that. But happens to the best of us. Um, so I'm always interested because because I got out of baseball before I got married. Um, but and you travel a lot with the team. So how do you juggle the married life while being a minor league baseball broadcaster and being on the road half of the time? I have a very understanding wife. Uh, she will tell you she hates baseball because it takes me away from her. Uh -huh. um, I, I think it's a really a result of how our relationship has gone. My wife and I have been together for 20 years, 21 years this summer. Um, we've been married for 10. So we dated and when I was, when we first met, I was in school in Erie. She was in Pittsburgh. At, at Chatham. Okay. Uh, I graduated. I lived in Meadville. She went to law school at WVU. Like, I got closer. She moved further away. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, when she graduated law school, after that first year in Williamsport, we moved in together. So we, you know, the first seven years, six years of our relationship was distance. So this is in stark contrast to that where I'm gone for six, seven days at a time, but I'm still, you know, I'm home. She works a lot. So it's not like I'm vying for attention. Like I come home and Hey, can we do something like even now, even the last year where I've been home, she'll go, uh, she works from home. So she goes upstairs to work at like eight o'clock comes down for lunch comes down for a snack to refill her water. We have dinner and half the time she goes back up and works another two hours anyway. Okay. So I, it's, I don't get bothered by that. 
She doesn't get bothered when I'm away. When I lived in Oklahoma, 09, 08, 09, we had webcams. So we did the face-to-face. This was pre-FaceTime, pre-Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you talk as much as you can. And she has been extremely understanding uh, throughout all of it, honestly. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't be where I am without her being supportive every step of the way. Wow, that's amazing. She moved us to Charleston. She moved us to Richmond. I moved us back to Charleston. And then I moved us here. So we're even when it comes down to moves. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, I like the balance. Score. Yeah. yeah, I like the balance there. All right, perfect. And um, so let's see. Uh, you were with West Virginia for seven years. Um, and then you went to Scranton, Wilkesbury. What's the biggest difference between broadcasting in A ball and Triple A? Besides the uh, travel, I'm sure. Travel is certainly part of it. And the caliber of play is the easiest difference you'll see. You know, you're dealing with guys here that are major league ready, mm-hmm. have been to the majors more often than not. Sure. You know, in, in low A, you're dealing with guys that are first, second, third year professionally, you know, still trying to find their way as a player. So the mentality is extremely different. You know, no one got promoted to West Virginia or demoted to West Virginia and was like, this is the end of the world. Right. I'm not saying that happens in AAA, but there is certainly a mentality when you're sent down from the majors versus being sent from Bradenton down. You know, like, that, that's certainly a major factor with, with how players approach it. Um, more often than not, they're extremely professional. They understand the business aspect of it, and they understand that whatever happens today does not decide tomorrow necessarily, that they'll have the chance to go back. So the caliber of play, you know, there are years in A-ball where you're going to see hundreds of errors. Right. Oh, yeah. In AAA, you know, a team might have 50 to 75 at most. You know, okay. and one of the great examples, like Derek Jeter, when he was in Greensboro in the early 90s, had 62 errors by himself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what a team might have. A, a good defensive team might have in AAA now. Okay. Give or take. Right. Five or ten. But, like, the caliber of play, uh, the ballparks are... I'm not going to say evening out, but it's gotten a lot closer. Okay. You get stadiums in, like, the new one in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, from everything I heard, the new stadium in Augusta is beautiful. You know, they're smaller, but they're still gems. Like, there are ballparks from – there's a ballpark in the New York Penn League that is one of my all-time favorites, or the old New York Penn League. Sure. Many years ago, pre-everything. Um Keyspan Park, which I think is MCU Park now in Brooklyn. Okay. One of my all-time favorite stadiums. You're you're on Coney Island. The Atlantic Ocean is right there. It's an open-air press box. At least it was 2007. Just crazy that it's going to rain a half inning every game, and somehow I'm sitting out in the elements. Yeah, that's strange. (laughs) But I love that park. I love that atmosphere. So I think you're seeing parks – 
as it's we've moved away from the 80 not 80s 90s builds of stadium where it was just functional mm-hmm. now about luxury it's about amenities i think you see a lot of these minor league parks mirror or mimic major league stadiums better now than they did 15 years ago even or 10 years ago so the caliber of ballpark while the size is different you know there are some stadiums at the lower levels that you would look at and you're like yeah why can't tampa bay play there like sure you look at it like these are great stadiums even though they only hold five thousand or ten thousand yeah so i think that has leveled out a lot totally makes sense um and I, I used to work in Beloit, and they're getting a new stadium. And I was just, um, you know, you went pretty deep into the, um, you know, the, the stadiums and, and you know, how they're evening out and that kind of stuff. How do you think, I don't know if there's been any changes made to the plans of the Beloit Stadium that's being built, but considering, you know, we're still in a pandemic, Um, do you think like building stadiums or designing stadiums is going to change significantly from here on out? I don't. Okay. I think at least at this point, you know, we interpret this pandemic as knock on wood temporary. Sure. That's the prevalence of the vaccine, um, that will we return to at the old normal anytime soon? No. But I think you still build as if a year from now or two years from now that you'll be at capacities. And each state is different. You know, each locality is different how they're handling it. Mm-hmm. So I think for the time being, I don't think you'll see that impact. This would be something that in like three years, four years, you do a case study on um, and see how attendance was affected the last three years. 17, 18, 19, and then 21, I think you could even throw away, but like 22, 23, 24, that's maybe by that point, that's when you start seeing stadiums change. But I think for now, you know, you just continue to build the way that you had planned. You know, there's a new park coming to AAA in Worcester. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've kind of watched the progress of that over the last couple of months and you're not seeing anything at least in my mind directly related to what's happened in the last year affect the bill okay very interesting i think it could happen but i don't think we're fast enough on processing information like that right we would want to take a few years to study it and say you know what we built this stadium for ten thousand people but we're consistently like we're getting no more than 8,000 or whatever it is, like, because people don't want to be that close or whatever. Sure. Might so I think in like four or five years, you'll see more information come out if it is a concern. I mean, we may go back next year and be like, hey, we're good. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I'm there yet. I, I know my parents who are in their 70s, uh, it'd be a stretch to get them to go to a ballpark with me this year. Mm hmm. So it maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, that's when we see any impact. Okay, very interesting. Um, so you've traveled quite a bit, um, especially in the South Atlantic League, the old New York Penn League, 
and now in AAA. Um, so just give me the best and worst places you travel to in minor league baseball. I'll, uh, I'll start you off with my worst. Okay. Anyone who knows me knows this is not a secret. Um, from the New York Penn League days, that those stadiums are mostly gone. Right. So I don't have to harp on Jamestown or Batavia. Yeah. <laughs> Hagerstown was a, a difficult place for me to go consistently in the South Atlantic League. It's an older ballpark. Their press box is on top of their grandstand. You have to climb a spiral staircase to get to the press box. I am afraid of heights. So being like right there was not quite helpful. Um, it, it was one of those ballparks that I, I don't want to, I never want to see baseball leave an area ever. I would have appreciated a new ballpark in Hagerstown. Yeah. Just as much as every single fan that wanted to go to a game there. Sure. Um, that was my least favorite place to travel for many reasons. Uh, the old ballparks in like Savannah, uh, the old stadium in Augusta, again, similar kind of approach. Like the cities are fine. Augusta as a city, Savannah as a city are fine. The ballparks were just, they didn't get the attention they need. Right. So those three stand out. There's really no place in the internationally now AAA East, Northeast, or wherever I am. Uh, <laughs> There's no stadium that I don't uh, that I have an issue going to. I love I love them all. There are some that are better than others. There are some that um, you know I won't necessarily miss McCoy in Pawtucket. Uh, half the time I had to drag the equipment up a spiral rotunda, um, just breaking out in sweat by the time I get to the top. Yeah. But, yeah there's some stadiums that. I, I really do enjoy uh, those are the ones that stand out where I'm like, okay, I don't have to go back. I'm good. Okay. Um, places I love. Um, I'm biased towards my home parks. That wasn't the question because that's not really traveling, but I loved the view at Appalachian Power Park in West Virginia. I enjoyed my time in Williamsport, Oklahoma City, certainly here. This ballpark in Scranton Wilkesbury is very much to me like the one in Charleston, West Virginia, because the press box is concourse level. Okay. So I'm 25 rows, 30 rows away from the field versus some of these other stadiums where you're high up on the third tier. I love Indianapolis, Charlotte, Durham, Columbus from the old International League. Greenville, Columbia, South Carolina. I also love any stadium, any city I can drive to. So Lexington, when I was in Charleston, was great. Mm -hmm. Having a car with me in these cities. Uh, more often than not, the division here in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Worcester, and Lehigh, I would drive to because it's all hour 15 minutes to four and a half hours, but... You're not worried about missing a bus ever. Right. You don't have to worry about taking an Uber. Mm -hmm. uh, I love going out and seeing what these cities have to offer. So, you know, driving to lunch or 
hopping in an Uber or a Lyft or in Indianapolis, they have the bird and lime scooters. Oh. Uh, just grabbing one of those scooters and zipping to lunch. Um, those cities stand out to me as, as my favorites. I used to do like, I used to try to find like the best sandwiches or best barbecue. Um, what I've done the last few years is I want the best restaurants. What are your best lunch spots or dinner spots or things like that? They're going to hand me an envelope with a per diem. I'm going to use that money to at least twice while I'm in a city for a four day trip, find the best possible places. Or what is, what is your cuisine in this city? You know, if I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to ask, what should I get? What is the best meal I can possibly get? Yeah. It's experiences like that, that why I love cities. So why I love traveling in baseball is being able to tell those stories about, you know, the history museum in Indianapolis or the Willie's locally known in Lexington, which had the burnt ends Ooh. off of ribs as a, as a dish, like things like that, that that's, those are the cities I love. And I don't think there's a bad international league spot, triple a East Northeast spot. Um, they all do things extremely well in each, each of those spots. Okay. And I'm I'm with you on um, the you know when you travel you go somewhere that's you know local like all in local. Um, I hate it like when I'm traveling and somebody says uh, let's go to Chick Fil A like we have Chick Fil A at home let's go right. somewhere you know that we can't get at home let's try something new and so I'm a big food person and I read in your bio you're a big food person. So let's jump ahead a question here. Um, in all of your travels, what's the best concession item that you've come across? So I think one of the ballparks that does things extremely well, uh, at least in my time visiting it, was the Joe down in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. Always innovators um, when it came to different types of burgers or hot dogs. You know, they were doing the cotton candy burgers and things like that. But it was one of the first places that I saw that had the blended alcoholic milkshakes. Ooh. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I had many of them before going on the air, but <laughs> I'm going to try it. I, I know the alcohol content was low. I can, I'm an adultish. I right. can have one. <laughs> uh, like They had like a creamsicle alcoholic milkshake or okay. a mudslide like that was one of my favorite things you know usually like once a series i would try a different one and it wasn't enough to do any kind of damage sure uh, i was not putting my job at risk i don't think uh no. you know there was recently some backlash about fox announcers i believe it was uh having a drink or two from time to time. It, yeah. I, I don't think it, in that case, you know, the effects of it were so minimal. Charleston, South Carolina stands out as a place that always had good concession items, whether it was their blended milkshakes, uh, their creative hot dogs or burgers. Uh, the best broadcaster food, hands down to this day, is Aberdeen. Well, Ooh. I don't know if it's still to this day, but... In 2007, it absolutely was. 
Okay. They let you take part of their sweet menu mm-hmm. and their sweet buffet, which was always like crab legs and, uh, you know, seafood items. Um, Aberdeen was a fun spot for me. I, I used to drive there and drive up to Haverton Grace and get some crab biscuit, this little restaurant along the river. So there, those two places stand out. Okay. Fantastic. Wow. That sounds good. I'm not a big seafood fan, but everything else sound, sounded really good. Um, and, and I'm not in the right spot ge- geographically to, to say that I'm not a seafood fan. Um, I'm here in, in southern Delaware, and everybody looks at me funny when I, when I say that. So, yeah. And there's a, in Will Ferrell's movie Elf, the world's best cup of coffee. Yeah. I'm also kind of a sucker for things like that. Okay. Or where I go, it's like, oh, it's the world's best crab cakes. All right. I got Let's go. It. Yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's so funny. It's, it's not. It, it, the one that stands out in my mind that claims that is absolutely not. <laughs> That's funny. So, are you exempt from being on the TARP crew now in Scranton? I am not. Ooh. Never asked. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of broadcasters, especially at this level, are. Uh, it was never exempt. I always had to pull whenever I could in Williamsport. In Oklahoma City, it was a little different. The press box was on the third tier, and there was no way we were making it off the air in time to get down to pull tarp. So that was never an issue. I, that's just, I think I might've pulled it like one time in two years in Oklahoma city. Okay. West Virginia, absolutely not. I was uh, always try to be one of the first people down to the tarp and uh, somebody has to steer the one side. So yeah, I'm up for that task. The fact that I travel, I, I almost feel guilty that I can't be there helping. Uh, and it's, I, I think that is what makes it such a family. I don't want to be the person to say, no, I'm not doing that. Or can I get out of it? Right. I only ever got out of it in Oklahoma city because of the distance. Um, I had surgery in 2012 and I had a hernia in 2012. So I, I couldn't do it the last month of the season and 2017 I had ankle surgery and I was in a walking boot for six weeks uh, and I didn't pull tarp the rest of that year, but every other time, I mean, I, I don't want, I don't think this position is, should be exempt. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm good with that. If I'm capable, if I'm physically able to, then I have no issue with it. Um, so do you have any fun harp pulling stories i we all have a story or two or ten or too many that you know you struggle to get the tarp on the field Mm -hmm. i hate stories yeah they're terrible because you're doing the best you can to get that tarp a thousand plus pound monster on the field or off the field whatever it is um my favorite story actually involves 
a ball in play and the oh. tarp. Okay. Interesting. June of 2016, the West Virginia Power are at home, Appalachian Power Park, playing the Charleston River Dogs, the Yankees' low-A affiliate at the time. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Runner on first base, uh, Logan Hill, single, nothing major. The next guy up was John Borman. And John has an amazing story that doesn't involve this. He was called up from Bradenton to Miami, uh, Bradenton to the Pirates, when they were down in Miami because they needed a backup catcher one day a few years ago. Yeah. He, like, found out at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning and was driven across Florida in three hours to make it to the game. Wow. And gave him a chance to – Clint Hurdle gave him a chance to play. But so Borman comes up, right-handed hitter, slaps a double down the first baseline inside the back. Okay. The ballpark in Charleston, West Virginia, is very small. Like, the confines are, like, Wrigley minus 40 feet. I don't know. I mean, it's tiny. Like, your bullpen mound, the edge of the mound is in foul territory, and it drifts in, like, right on the chalk down the first baseline. Mm-hmm. There's no room inside this state. I think it extends games quite a Yeah. Because fly ball, foul ball happens. So the tarp is in the right field side, up against the bullpen wall and the grounds area. Foreman hits this ball that just slices into the tarp roll, which is hollow, didn't have an end cap on. Right. Now, the rule for the base runners then, probably still a case, you run until you have to go back. You don't stop running. Yeah. So Borman is a catcher. Keeps running. The right fielder for the River Dogs is Jalen Jackson. Puts his hands up in the air to indicate uh, the ball is unplayable. Ground rule double. The umpires are supposed to come out and check on it. Borman's still going, as he should. Sure. Jackson turns around, and there is a ball sitting on the warning track behind him. Whether something happened or whether this ball had enough force to make it down the length of the tube and come out the other side, picks it up and plays it. Foreman scores. It's an inside-the-tarp home run. Wow. Luis Durante, the manager for Charleston, argued for 10 minutes. There was, they found, like, they unfurled the tarp and they found another baseball, like, from the bullpen throw a ball on the field, and that's what Jackson played, like, it was like, for me, the way I was describing it, it was the Seinfeld, Keith Hernandez spitting incident. Like, there was a second baseball in play. Like, it was just unbelievable how it played out. And the home run counted. And the power won the game 4-3 in extra innings. Wow. But legitimately, for 10 minutes, the game was then played under protest, but it was just absolutely crazy. The next day, I think their coaching staff was out there with a fungo and a bucket of balls trying to hit baseballs into the tarp and recreate what happened. <laughs> like they couldn't believe it. Uh, and then from that point on, we had a Captain America shield for some reason. That was now the end cap, so no baseballs could get into the tarp. Wow. The odds of that happening are absurd and the fact that you had to describe that on the air 
um, must have been quite the occasion. It might have been that same summer in Lakewood. Somebody hit a home run, so we thought. The player goes crashing against the wall, and a baseball came shooting out from underneath the pads. So a ball like clearly goes over the wall, guy crashes in, but a ball comes rolling out. Whoa. And he played it. Yeah. And it was mass confusion. Like it was the same year. And to have this happen again in in a similar fashion was sure. unbelievable. Um, I absolutely love the into- inside the tarp story. That uh, wow. is my ma- most favorite home run I've called. I've called like judge home runs, inside the park, grand slams, but this one is is so funny to me. Yeah. It changed the protocol of what we did with the tarp. It was covered from that point. It had an end cap. Yeah. But it's these things you don't think could happen. It's it really fits in baseball. Like you could see two thousand games, and tomorrow you're going to watch a game, and something you've never seen happen will happen. Wow, that that is incredible, and I do always find that interesting. Like you know, people say you know baseball is boring. Well, not when stuff like that happens. Like there is always something. I always love it when there's something like that you've never seen before that happens in a baseball game, and that. I always treasure that, of course. Um, wow, that is that is a heck of a story. Wow, unlike any other tarp story I've heard, for sure. I uh, kind of figured as much. Love yeah. that story. And <laughs> John Borman was such a great guy. So to see him get the opportunity to go up and play a game for Pittsburgh and get all the benefits that come with it now, because he's a major leaguer. Yeah. No matter what would happen in the rest of his career, he has a baseball reference page that has a major league game on it. Um, and John was such a such a great guy, so uh, happy for him on a couple of different levels. Get that big league call, but to have him as a part of this inside the top story. Wow, that's phenomenal! Wow. So, you know, I was looking at your, I was you know deep diving on some research. I wasn't creeping; I was deep diving. Um, sure. So, and it says in your Twitter bio that you're a big fan of sports comedy movies. So am I. So I figured, let's do a um, top five draft of sports comedy movies. I'm ready. Um, All right. So I I did give you this a day ahead of time so you could prepare. Um, As the guest, you go first. Number one overall pick. It it was tough. I I have a friend of mine that we discuss movies all the time. I bounced this question off of him earlier today. Uh, and I am content with my first round pick being Caddyshack. Okay. All right. I'm, uh, I'm jotting there this There are down. sports movies that get quoted constantly, um, and Caddyshack is probably one of the top five sports movies that I would quote, uh, whether it's you're out for a tarp pull, and it's, I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite some time. <laughs> You know, you can pull you can pull lines from sports movies and put them anywhere in your daily life. So, right. Caddyshack is my number one pick. Okay, I am going to go with. Ooh, this is a it's a close one. Um, I'm going to go with Major League. It's an outstanding choice. Thank also, you. very quotable, uh, especially in. The world of professional sports. 
So, uh, all right, your turn. I'm going to go a little, little deeper here. Okay. And, you know, people love Bull Durham. People love Sandlot, whether those qualify. Sandlot, I don't know if that qualifies as a comedy, but it's a great movie. Yeah. Bull Durham comedy. Uh, I'm going with basketball. Mm. That's Matt a Parker, Trey Stone, South Park guys who created a game of basketball with baseball rules. Yep. Um, yet another movie I quote from time to time. Uh, first we get jobs, then we get the khakis, then we get the girls, you know, <laughs> on those lines. Uh, I watched it like three weeks ago. I forgot how much I love it. I know. I've only watched it. I think but that's okay. I, yeah, I think I've only watched it twice and it it is incredible like but it's got like a cult following it's not like um extremely popular it, you know um but it but it is fantastic nonetheless i am going to go with happy gilmore excellent that's on my list ooh i'm going to say you scoop me for a draft pick there but that is certainly on my list <laughs> I think I'm going to make a, a graphic of some sort with with these for for when the look um, for when the episode comes out. So sounds good. I I have a couple that are in my mind here. Um, cool Runnings is an outstanding movie. Um, there are a lot of Will Ferrell movies. There are a lot of Adam Sandler movies. You mentioned Happy Gilmore. Waterboy is great. Um, I love Wedding Crashers. They play football in it. I don't think that really counts. No. They, they do some, some uh, shooting in it. That doesn't really count. There's boating. I mean, it's all kinds of sports. But my last one, I will go with uh, go with Dodgeball. An okay. underdog story. Okay. So this is a... I, Yep. I tend to like the more slapstick kind of comedies than, you know, like uh, another one that was in my mind was like Tin Cup. Yeah. Is that really, is that a golf movie? Is that a love story? Because every one of us has been that guy who's dropped 10 golf balls down trying to make the shot over the water. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a sports movie to me. So okay. but I'm going dodgeball with, with Vince Vaughn. Okay. I... And I just watched this not too long ago. Um, I'm going to go with Goon. Ooh, that's great. I know. I, I, and the second one actually isn't terrible either. I mean, so, so okay, they're not fantastic cinematic films, but quotable and extremely funny. That's That's what I'm going with here, so... It's not a movie that my wife would ever sit down and watch with me. I am well aware of that. Mm -hmm. uh, Goon was thoroughly entertaining as well. Um, that's an outstanding choice. Thank you. All right. We got two more picks each. Uh, I've thrown a few out there that I think are in contention. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, like... It's not just for me, like, the top five. And certainly, Happy Gilmore and Major League also made my list. Um, I think of them as movies I could just sit down and watch anytime. Sure. 
Uh, I'm, I'll go with Tin Cup. Okay. I'm going to take that as a golf movie. All right. Um, because there's a lot of that that reflects a regular individual's golf game, whether it's trying to hit the shot over the water, whether it's getting the yips and you can't hit a ball. Um, so I'll, I'll take Tin Cup as my fourth round selection. Okay. I am going to go with, and and you let me know. I I think this qualifies as a comedy, The Replacements. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I know there's a love story wrapped you up in there love as well. Story. Yeah, but The Replacements. That's what I'm going with for for number four for me. Huh. I'll. I'll... It's kind of in that same ilk. Uh, I'll go with A League of Their Own. Okay. Um, it's an underrated sports comedy. It's, it's different from the slapstick of my other selections, but uh, how many times do we quote, there's no crying in baseball? Right. Things like that. It, it's quotable. It stands out. So that'll be my fifth pick. Okay. I lived in Rockford, Illinois for about six months. Before I moved to um, Beloit, uh, my cousin lived there, so that's the only way I could take that job <laughs> right off the bat. So, um, so okay, so number five, and we can do honorable mentions as well. I am going to go with... Hmm. <laughs> I think... It's really a toss-up between two of them. I think I'm going to go with... Just because I quote it more often, semi-pro. See, I, I like that. Um, for me, any honorable mention, you know, you get Will Ferrell movies like Talladega Nights. Um, yep. Not a huge NASCAR person fan by any means, but I do appreciate that one, uh, that movie. Cool Runnings, as I mentioned, is a classic. You get into the movies and their sequels, like Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks is a great movie. Sequels were very good as well. I'm in the camp that Major League 3, Back to the Minors, is actually a decent movie. Okay. People can't stand that one. They're like, it's Major League 1 and the other ones are terrible. But yeah. don't mind. Back to the Minors. So... <laughs> Those are my honorable mentions. Okay. My honorable mentions are White Men Can't Jump. Phenomenal. Um, I also had Cool Runnings in there um, and Talladega Nights. Um, but if if The Sandlot counts as a comedy, that would be in my honorable mentions. And The Waterboy. I have no issue with this whatsoever. It makes complete sense. Okay, fantastic. So I, the Sandlot's like it's a great feel-good movie, and and maybe that's part of where A League of Your Own comes in as well. I mean, there's comedic aspects of it. It's not something that you can clear-cut say this is a comedy. Right. And it's very different than the Adam Sandler type movies that. Adam Sandler, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase movies that were further up the list. Right. Um, as a as a film miner, I thoroughly appreciated this uh, 
top five draft. Um, fantastic. Always, always great to debate sports comedies for sure. Um, and I've met the actor that played Squints in The Sandlot. So, um, shout out to him. Uh, but let's see here. And we'll just, we'll just wrap it up. Um, so Adam, where can the listeners find you on social media? I'm most active, uh, on social on Twitter. I have Instagram. It's mostly just to post pictures of food, I think, anymore and see what other people are doing. Yep. Uh, so at a Marco M-A-R-C-O underscore 16 is how you find me on Twitter. Uh, as baseball season approaches, there will be far more baseball and far less political retweets, I think, uh, which will probably be beneficial for everyone, including myself. <laughs> that was the other thing I did during the... Uh, time away from baseball is get caught up in the election of 2020. So, oh, okay. Uh, take a breather from all of that. But sure. That's how you find me at a Marco underscore 16 on Twitter. Okay. Fantastic. Um, what has been your favorite walk up or warm up song in your baseball career and whose was it? Uh, this is probably, this is, this is a twofer. I got two answers. Um, Julio Bourbon walked out to Calle Ocho in 2009. And in 2019, Julio was the defensive coach for the Rail Riders. Okay. So I interview him. We were down in Lehigh Valley. We're sitting in the stands. Like the first time I talked to him for the season, and I asked him, why Calle Ocho? Why? What about that Pitbull song? He's like, I, I just loved it. It was it was a track that was on all of my playlists back then. So when I hear Kai Ocho, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, I think of Julio Bobo. <laughs> okay, perfect. But my all-time favorite goes to 2007, Williamsport. Players, if they don't give you a walk-up song, yeah, you come up with one for them. Yeah. Whether it sticks, whether it doesn't. Whether they, like, why are you playing that for me? I will give you a song now. Like, there's a player the Phillies had drafted Michael Durant big first baseman um, I, I think that year we had like four linebackers on the team and Durant came up it was early July had not given us a walk-up song yet and I was in the press box that day and I had just loaded in Nelly's Here Comes the Boom <laughs> great song comes up bases loaded First time we play the walk-up song, Grand Slam. We played it for him. The next month, he did not hit another home run. He came to me and said, please stop playing that song for me. I can't hit home runs in. Stop playing. He finished the year with five home runs. Uh, but those are my two favorite walk-up songs. Uh, the fact that, that we played Here Comes the Boom, and first at bat, he had it. He hits a Grand Slam. Like, right. It was meant to be until it wasn't. Until wow. he said, please stop playing. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, this is great catching up with you, Adam. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, just really appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. And uh, of course. Yeah. And uh, we'll ride out with those songs. Maybe I'll mix the two of them. I'm not really sure yet. Um, but yeah, just really appreciate it. And, uh, best of luck, uh, you know, getting back on the air with the rail riders, um, represent the five, seven, Oh, 
uh, proudly, of course, and um, we'll talk to you soon, okay? See if we remember how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Adam. Of course. to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.